Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of A Journey Through Time and Stuff. My name is Aaron. Uh, today, I will call myself Old Aaron Getting Shit Done because I had a very productive day today. Woke up early, went and played disc golf with one of my good buddies, uh, and then we grabbed a big three-pound tri-tip and got it smoking on my brand new grill. I just got it yesterday and seasoned it, went through a couple heat cycles yesterday, oiled it all down, and... Uh, now I got some some tri-tip smoking with hickory outside right now. Um, I hope everybody out there is great. Uh, thank you for joining us again on another uh, adventure through wherever my mind seems to take us. I know I go all over the place sometimes, but uh, you out there, you listeners, are the trusty ones. You are the ones who keep coming back for more, and uh, it honestly makes me want to keep doing it. Today, I have... A pleasure of speaking with somebody who I've known for the better part of, oh, let's see, probably 20 years now, I think is about how long ago we met. Uh, we shared quite a few classes together in middle school, ended up eventually going to different high schools, and I'm sure we will cover all this and more. But now, uh, he's a motivator. He is uh, somebody who is always doing, always going, always pushing people to be happier, talk about the positivity in life. It's been fun from the outset. Uh, you know, social media is a weird thing where you can follow people and look at people and then you never click that blue friends button. And it seems like I've, for whatever reason, the button never got pushed, but I've been watching this guy for honestly years now, uh, kicking ass with everything he does. So I would like to welcome cordially to the show, Jake Blanchard. Hey buddy, how you doing? Go great, Aaron. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, you got you got a full crowd there supporting you, man. How it. how are things? Uh, things are going great, man. Uh, just been, I mean, obviously extremely busy. Yeah. Um, you know, pivoting uh, with all this uh, COVID madness that's happening. And correct. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. Excited to to uh, be on the podcast. Definitely. Uh, Something I've given a listen to, especially in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's great, man. You're doing great stuff. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's a fun, it's, you know, it's, it's funny. It kind of, it seems, uh, you know, I, congratulations yourself on, on, on launching your own podcast and your brand. And uh, I'm really excited to see where it takes you. And, you know, it always, it seems like, you know, for yourself, I guess, and for me, uh, it took hardship uh, and kind of un unexpected trials to create this to, to 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 breathe the necessity for pushing yourself a little harder and a little harder and a little further than you would um so what 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 kind of prompted you you know i just want to start off the bat and then we'll go into your other story um to 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 start a podcast i mean are you are you a listener um was it covid especially had you already been thinking about it kind of what happened there man yeah. So, uh, yeah, thanks for asking. Um, just launched last week, yes. two episodes in, I've, I've, uh, got two more recorded that, uh, looking forward to releasing in the next uh, week or so. So Good. a lot of great guests coming on. And, and once again, uh, I think to your intro, um, a lot of motivation, positivity, things around, uh, business, uh, life, fun stories, people yeah. besides side projects. That's what I'm, uh, mostly interested in. Um, I've been a, a process improvement, uh, program management professional uh, most of my career. So uh, either in a consulting capacity or, or working for large organizations, health hospitals, health systems, that sort of thing. 
Um, and uh, I, I broke out uh, in December, uh, relaunched my consulting firm, and things are going really well, uh, even with COVID, even with um, you know kind of all the madness that's happening. I've been able to scale and grow that business. Uh, and then something that I've always had in the back of my head was, you know, hey, uh, if I ever get a chance to work from home, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a podcast at some point in time. Uh, if if I'm if I can cut out the commute time, if I can recapture some of those hours, uh, I, I think I'm gonna do it. And uh, you know, obviously, I, I I would be remiss if I didn't say I've been a, a big Joe Rogan fan for, sure. for years and years. And you know, he's inspired so many other people to uh, to get into the podcasting world. So certainly, um, you know, that's way way in the back of the mind. But um, well, yeah. When- and, Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say. I was gonna say on on that point specifically. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a big Rogan fan as well. Uh, you know, I I, I stumbled onto his show uh, and th- through Kevin Smith actually. So I was a big. I listened to Smodcast before I listened to Rogan, and uh, and Kevin Smith kind of took the approach of really talking about his life. And I was like, man, that sounds, sounds so cool to have somebody who you've kind of admired and watched through your, you know, my whole childhood was filled with Jay and Silent Bob movies and, and, and yeah. basically everything that Kevin Smith did. And then he had a podcast and I was getting into that. Rogan was on his podcast way back in the day. And then they did a flop and it was Kevin Smith's first time on Rogan's. And so that just kind of got me hooked there. And you know, it is. It's it's one of those things that's way back in your mind, but you hear him say enough, man, you're funny. You should start your own podcast or man, you know, he's talking to somebody who maybe isn't sure of themselves, but all he has to say is one or two words of, man, you got a good story. You're funny or, you know, something you should start your own podcast. And then all of a sudden they do and it blows up. And, uh, I don't know how you felt about it, but for me, it took a little bit of kind of, uh, uh, having to push down a bit of my own uh, kind of self-fledging ego to say, yeah. you know, uh, a, a bit of the battle. I don't. I'm, maybe if you relate to this, a bit of the battle at the beginning was, well, who am I actually that other people would want to hear? What what do I have to say to somebody that may be intriguing? And all of a sudden, I find out that most people uh, just like other people. Yeah. And, yeah. So what, what do you, I don't know. What do you think of that? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Cause I, I think I'm in that, that honeymoon stage right now. There's that imposter syndrome that goes <sighs> along with, with this as I'm sure, I mean, you're, you're much more seasoned than I am, um, you know, at, at uh, running these things and then, yeah. you know, publishing your voice, publishing others voices out there. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to how that evolves over time and, in, in uh, looking at my comfort level. But, you know, I think for, for me, you know, I started working, for sure, full time in March from home. Okay. Uh, and what that also caused me to do um, without the commute, you know, I was able to spend more time with the family. Uh, some of the things I've been wanting to do, what I found myself doing is diving deeper into social media. Mm. And I found out that most of the social media that I was consuming uh, was actually uh, not really good for my brain uh, and my mindset. There's a yeah. lot of negativity, there's a lot of people out there with very strong opinions. Uh, about things that they may or may not have all of the information for. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, you know, not I'm definitely not a, uh, a political person, but you can't help but see it online. And so, you know, you've, you've got all these people that you respect from yeah. on both sides of the political spectrum that sure. have these, you know, very strong ideas about what's going on with COVID, very strong ideas about what's going on with the economy or uh, presidential races. And I'm like, you know what? I know so many good interesting people with cool and fun stories to tell 
uh, about things that they're doing on their their side projects and their businesses, about you know weight that they've lost, uh, like yeah. 100 plus pounds here and there. Like, man, I, what am I doing? How am I contributing to this ecosystem uh, of brain fodder uh, that that I'm consuming? And if I'm not helping, uh, then how do I have the moral high ground to look at? That other people and you know question the content that they post. So I guess from a from a balancing act standpoint, I'm I'm just trying to you know put a little more weight on the positivity scale, just knowing that you're not going to be able to get away from all the rest of that. Oh man, that 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 honestly, that sentiment is beautiful. Uh, it's what attracted me to following you in the first place. It, place is is that mindset, and honestly, why I wanted you on the show. Um, you know, I. Uh, positivity and and breaking the monotony of kind of uh, tribalism, especially toxic tribalism, um, is something that I have focused on on this show to do. Um, in the same way, you know, you 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 really nailed it right on the head. With there's a bunch of people you follow that are interesting and inspiring, and you perhaps most of the people you followed because of what they did that was inspiring. And then all of a sudden social media um, with all throughout all the platforms now gives this person who's inspiring to maybe be able to also share one of the shitty ideas that wasn't the reason that you followed them. And, you know, exactly. There's the, there is that judgment kind of that the moral judgment that falls in when, you, you know, you, you love a musician and they created some of your, most inspiring music that that pushed you through adolescence that that made you you know that that helped you overcome it was a tool of growth for you and then they say something or do something and you go like what what am I, how how does one move forward in in that moment whether you know to almost it seems you have to just talk about it and and air the nuance around your likes and dislikes what you care about how you know how one transverses the 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 landscape the you know taking from sam sam harris the moral landscape that is everybody's day-to-day -day life just interacting with other humans and so it's awesome that that you're attacking this bigger issue as well which is um create counteracting toxic tribalism with good tribalism you know um sure something you know it, inevitably these podcasts and i found it from listening you know i i take in a lot of a, a lot of other people's information you know uh i listen to a lot of podcasts and so um it they become kind of an echo chamber for thoughts if you let them and so part of the thing that i've tried to do is is the echo chamber that inevitably gets created on this show i wanted it to be one of just positivity i wanted it to be one of 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 love and you know mine's more focused around musicians and kind of the you know in in portland we have a huge music scene um and there are so many people just from moving here and being a musician in portland that i've met that i'm like holy shit these guys are amazing artists that are struggling working in a gas station to go play shows at night and all they're doing is putting their energy into this thing that is music and no one knows who they are like let, let let's push this out and let somebody in you know ireland or somebody in paraguay or somebody in there be able to figure out that there's this tiny little metal band from portland and you know 
listen to it. Same with you. That's what I loved about your first episodes. You, you know, you had uh, 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 Italian chefs. You had a, a, a grill guy. Like, like, you know, it's somebody who just is doing a passion that no one would have heard of if it wasn't for you. So, congrats on that, and uh, you know, keep hey, it up, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I, uh, I mean, as just kind of going through that that deep dive into social media, yeah. And, and the, to finish out the story of springboarding and do the podcast as uh, I was, I was starting to post more. I haven't had much of a social media presence over the years and that's something that I'm interested in. You know, I'll share something about my kids. I'll share something about my wife. Um, but for the most part, not really interested in unpacking like, you know, deep <laughs> feelings on social media. Yeah. Um, as you know, oftentimes I just didn't want to deal with the comments or too long. Didn't read the nuance the wrong way or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. or just not feeling comfortable, you know, yeah. doing it. But, but uh, I was reading, I was finally, this was probably back in June, I, I can't remember exactly when, maybe maybe early July, but I was reading uh, somebody's post, this like impassionate rant uh, about all the things that are wrong in the world. And I'm like, well, what the hell are they doing to fix it? Like, mm-hmm. what, what are they doing? And then, you know, I don't know if I stole this from somebody or, you know, if it just kind of popped in my head organically, but the idea that our opinions are not our impact. Mm-hmm. And... You know, for, for me, that was that was profound enough to say, well, what is our impact or, or the impact is, you know, what's driving you forward? It's yeah. how you the concentric circles of your family and your close friends and your community and, and the world around you and the way that you interact uh, with those individuals, those businesses within that community. That's your impact. Yeah, you know, you're, you're likely not going to have as a, as a person a national stage. Uh, to you know, express your views or to change legislation, but you can impact people in your community. And, and maybe that gives you a bigger voice over time. A hundred percent. Having that discipline and having that passion, um, maybe that puts you in a position uh, where you can facilitate some of the changes that you want to see, but just sitting at home doing the keyboard warrior thing, getting all pent up and, and uh, toxifying your mind, yeah. being angry at people that you like, uh, just because they look at things differently, it's you know I, I just couldn't do that anymore. So, um, dude, yeah, I, I'm, I'm I'm excited to uh, to to be embarking on uh, spreading the positivity like you, Aaron. I I love it, man. I love it. And and you know you said something pretty profound there as well, talking about uh, uh, you know your impact, and you said the concentric circles of your life, and you did map that out. And I've always kind of thought of it, everyone's existence as a Venn diagram of energy and it's where in those overlapping circles because you will always have many circles and they will all overlap where inside of those circles do you put yourself where do you spend your time do you spend your time where all of them overlap do you spend your time in one quadrant that isn't touched by another circle even though you recognize there's all these other areas around and you know how do you build those circles into something that all of a sudden, the overlaps become bigger. The area that is touching between all circles grows, and the area that is by itself shrinks. And and I, I kind of think that's uh, it is something profound. You know, I've I had thought about that. I can't remember where I got the idea of that either. Um, but it has stuck with me for quite a while, especially you know, uh, growing up in a small town that we both did. Um. That you know, and and kind of the education system as an adult now realizing that they of everything that we learned and all the great teachers I can go back and think of that we had from our small town, it surprises me that there wasn't 
as much uh, effort put into uh, how we think about things. Yeah. It seems the effort was put into what to think and not how to think. And becoming an adult and navigating things that I never thought you would have to and and moving and growing and losing family members and gaining new ones and um you know it it all of a sudden I realized I was faced with situations that I did not have the tools the actual physical tools to navigate the waters of of bettering myself under that stress. And so I wonder, is, is that something you also foc on, focus on as well? Um, you know, I've seen you do, uh, uh, you know, in, not endurance races, but you roll jujitsu, your sport, you know, your sports guy. I've seen you do a, a couple Ironmans, right? Like, or have you done yeah, that, like that, mutters, that, tough mutters? Tough mutters. Yeah. 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 yeah for sure. Um, yeah. You know, let me touch on that first point, please. Uh, Cause I have an interesting story there. Please. Uh, so my son just went through kindergarten, uh, last year, uh, obviously had an interesting kind of wrapping up to kindergarten uh, yeah. remotely. So I don't know if you've had to uh, detain a, a five or six year old uh, to uh, watching four hours of zoom meetings oh, four days a week. I know, uh, but <laughs> it's, it's pretty interesting, but you know what? He goes to a little charter school out here in Idaho and, and uh, you know, I was, I was looking at the curriculum and felt really touchy feely. Um, but I was like, all right, whatever, man, this is just down the street from my house. It's a different learning model. And I still have, yeah. I, I had the same appetite, um, or, or I guess reflection, uh, that, that you're talking about for like, Hey, how, like teach them to be inquisitive, yeah. teach them to be problem solvers, teach them to learn and then teach them all the stuff that you want them to learn. Mm-hmm. Right. But like, you know, help build the, that base and that foundation. I, yeah. And I can't speak for, you know, all public education or, or all, all charter schools, but certainly the one that he goes to, um, you know, they spent most of his kindergarten in a, in a play-based learning in a, like, let's ask lots and lots and lots of questions. Oh. Let's learn how to be inquisitive about that. And I, and I see that now that he's in first grade, uh, just, just kicked off last week. I, I see the way that he asks questions. I see, uh, the way that he gravitates toward things that he likes and how quickly he can peel back the onion wow. uh, and start to dive into those subjects. And, and it does, it, it excites me because obviously, um, whatever learning model that he's doing, I mean, once again, I'm not an expert in this, but yeah. whatever learning model he's doing, it's definitely made progress from 20 or 30 years ago for sure. And, oh, you know, it, so I, I'm excited about, uh, excited about the, his future, my daughter's future. That's, uh, as they participate in the school. that's awesome. That's awesome. How many kids do you have? I've got two, two, a, a seven-year-old boy, and uh, my daughter will be uh, five real soon. Wow, wow, that's yeah. congratulations, man! Congratulations, Thanks, man! man. Uh, do, you, do you, okay? Let me ask a question because I, 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 I'm kidless, uh, you know, and and I've been with my lady for a long time, and and you know, we're we're kind of looking at the landscape and. Um, don't, you know, we're, we're still undecided if, if kids are even something that is in our future, you know, I mean, we have 13 years as a couple and, uh, and it just never hasn't felt right yet. Did you picture yourself as a, somebody, you know, as when you were younger with the kids and the family did, was it, you know, did, 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 did it always kind of feel that way for you? You know, I could have, uh, I could have went e- either way. Um, I, uh, I had these, uh, ideas of, of, uh, 
doing kind of the rock star traveling life. Maybe we can unpack that here. I would love bit. to. We will. Um, we will. I, you know, but there, there was definitely a part of me, even though that, you know, my wife was my serious girlfriend from high school. Well, yeah, I was, I, I was going to touch on that as well as you're with your high school sweetheart. It's kind of yeah. funny that we both are sitting here now, you know, mid thirties and with the girls we fell in love with in high school, man. It's fun. Yeah, and from a small town in Alaska, yeah. for yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, so, you know, Megan uh, always kind of knew uh, that she wanted kids, but she knew that she Perfect. wanted to go through college first and, and kind of figure that out a little bit later in life. Yeah. Uh, and then for me, you know, I understood that about her. Uh, so I understood that that being part of my future uh, moving forward. So I, totally. I worked on um, kind of putting on the dad lenses every now and then, like having the conversations starting around 18, 19 years old of, you know, I guess being a little more aware of yeah. fathers, being a little more aware of what children are doing at certain ages. Um, but I still didn't like actually hold a baby until I was 26 years old. Oh shit. Um, yeah. Yeah. My, uh, good, good friend of ours here, uh, in Idaho when they, when they had their daughter, it was the first time I actually ever held like a, like a baby. What was that like? <laughs> um, did you was, just oh, feel clumsy? Uh, I felt real clumsy, man. And then yeah. about two months, two months later, my wife was pregnant, <laughs> and then I knew, oh man, I got, I got kids coming. Oh man! Uh, so I, I better get real comfortable being around these uh, these little people. So. Well, congratulations, man. You you have a you have a obviously beautiful family from the outside. So so congrats on that. It's. It, you, you're doing something right. Um, yeah. Well, hey, let's let's dump let's jump back a little bit and and talk about that small town living that that we came from because I think it is something that I feel is super impactful and for, was formative for me. Now, the hindsight of it, I can recognize. Holy shit! This small town and kind of the community we had um, was something that is a is a is a driving force for me now. But it felt like a hindrance then. Did you run into that? Yeah, you know i i moved uh, I moved up there when I was ten years old. Oh um, shit! Okay, I, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So I was born in, in uh, South Louisiana. Um, I was born in Lafayette, uh, ah. in a really small kind of Cajun French town. Yeah, yeah. Down there for a while, and then my dad got a different job, uh, for the same company. But um, you know, we moved up in '97. Uh, the first Kenai and then and then Soldatna uh, around April, and oddly enough, my wife sat right next to me in fourth grade. You know, fourth wow. class at Soldatna. Holy oh shit. yeah. Uh, so <laughs> so did you go to did you go to uh, which elementary school did you go to? Uh, just uh, Soldatna Elementary. Oh, yeah. Soldatna. Okay, cool, cool. Yep. So I uh, got there in kind of April and and uh, started feeling things out, and you know, I I it it was a cool place. I mean, it's it's one of those places that it takes time. You need to. You need to get away from it to really reflect on how beautiful it was from a scenery oh, standpoint. Man. I mean, it's it, as I've traveled and I've, you know, I've traveled as a consultant for seven or eight years. I've been almost every state, uh, so many different cities, so many different sites to see. But, you know, I reflect on my time in Alaska and, man, it's, it's hard to beat being down on the river. It's hard to beat seeing, you know, eagles all the time and, you know, just having moose for neighbors and, you know, the whole the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's definitely the challenges, though, too, of, uh, and things to resent about being in a, in a small little community up there as well. And, sure. You know, every convenience has its inconveniences. And I think uh, the long winters uh, and then also, you know, some of the other challenges that you brought up earlier, which is, um, you know, just. Well, it's kind of insular. Yeah. Not a lot to do. Yeah. 
uh, everybody knows everybody, everybody knows everybody else's stuff that's going on and, mm-hmm. you know, this and that. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's I think one of the reasons why, you know, as a kid, I mean, that was, that was it is, um, I wasn't, I liked playing sports, but I wasn't overly into it. Like I didn't, I didn't have like a, uh, an appetite to yeah. be on the football team, things like that. So, uh, when I started picking up a bass guitar when I was 14, 15 years old, you know, it just, it seemed like a natural, uh, a natural progression to, to try to get into music. And then as my musical chase taste changed, so did the types of bands I was in. So it was all good stuff. Well, yeah, man, it's, you know, it's funny, uh, seventh grade, you know, I went, I, I lived in Kostilov and I went to Tustamina and, uh, you know, so seventh grade going into SMS was kind of, uh, my first real, uh, time meeting other kids that weren't from my town of a thousand people you know like like it was going into a middle school where you had guys from you know people from three other elementary schools and kind of all over the place and you realize like oh wow there's there's like cliques of people that are such good friends with each other and i know i don't even fucking know them like where you know where does one fit in and it, it was a cool tough uh kind of water to navigate um but i remember distinctly uh going in there and i don't remember if it was within the first quarter or or something like that but all of a sudden it was your voice doing morning announcements uh (laughs) that was like who is this like rambunctious uh eccentric vibrant voice that we hear oh it's fucking jake blanchard like you know we we had science class together and and uh, we had, you know, a bunch of other shit like that when we were still doing the core groups. And man, you, you know, that was kind of the thing. Like, there's our announcer. There's the guy who does all the cool stuff. He tells the joke. Like, yeah, that was. That's, that's funny, man. I, I had a very similar experience, like going from that sixth grade to, to middle school, seventh grade. Uh, but I was completely oblivious that there were other elementary schools in Soldatna. It's like for some reason, I had no idea. So I was just expecting the middle school to be all the kids from the other elementary school. And then I show up and there's like, you know, yeah. I, I hardly knew kids from the school that I was in. Yeah. And now there's all these other kids and I'm like, oh, like, hey, maybe I'll maybe I'll have an opportunity to start making some friends. Dude, I agree. I agree. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's one of the reasons I got into doing the, uh, the Friday announcements, things like that uh, in the morning at, at the middle school. Um, doing kind of the sports is, is kind of where I, um, I did a little bit of the sports and then mostly music. Like I would. I would uh, pick out a couple of albums and I still have, uh, I still have quite a few albums. Yeah. Uh, I noticed, I noticed on your podcast and I appreciate it. Now you have the rotating uh, vinyl section that goes on that there. That's clever, man. That's clever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. behind. I was going to say right behind zoom calls all day. I'm listening to vinyl in here. I, I I just dig it. I'm not the biggest audiophile, but you know, for sure. I've I've mounted a collection. Well, well it's, yeah, I got, you know, this podcast originally, uh, and and I st- I haven't done it in, in some time just because it's a little less translatable over Zoom, um, but but you know this podcast grew out of uh, my my band that I moved to Portland with me and Jason Smith uh, had you know had a band together when we moved here and and that broke up and me and Jason you know still best friends and we lived together for se- almost seven years when we lived here and um, we we're sitting in this house and and. Uh, our band broke up and we're like, well, what do we do now, man? Well, we still both love music. We still know all these guys. Uh, let's start a podcast. And so that was kind of the impetus for, for, for this starting, but a huge part of it is music. And so behind the camera, basically I got 200 vinyls sitting there. 
uh, that that and a record player like right there. And uh, and that was kind of part of the thing on the show is guests would come over to the house. They'd come in the studio. We'd talk and either we would play vinyl live on the show or they would bring some of their favorite vinyl and we'd spin it on the show and just like sit around a record player just with other people, no t- no phones on, no nothing else, and just listen to vinyl, get the scratches, get everything that is the warmth of that and, and really share. So I love the fact that uh, you have that vinyl you know, record player and doing that as well. Um, you know, one of the funny, uh, <laughs> I remember, man, I have such a distinct memory. I can't remember whose class we were in, but it was when hybrid theory came out and yeah. that was so life changing. And I remember you coming to school with the, the CD and opening it up in class and be like, everybody look at this. It's Lincoln parks. Have you guys heard of Lincoln? Like, this is the shit. It's hybrid yeah. theory. And it just became, I mean, it, it was so ground changing for music for me and for you, obviously. Um, you know, I've every, every time Lincoln Park anything comes on when Chester passed, you know, all of that, I go back to thinking about us in science class with that hybrid theory CD and you just like showing it to our table and being like, this is the shit, you guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I uh, huge huge fan, and actually, it's it's funny uh, that you bring that up because uh, my workout mix for the past months has just been listening to Meteora, actually, <laughs> start to finish. Uh, it's perfect timing for how much time I have in the gym, but it's it's hilarious uh, that you bring that up because because that's what I'm into right now. It's just looking back at at some of those old like really good albums, amazing uh, that did a lot for music. I mean, you know, Link Park, obviously, uh, the, the kind of the rack rap rock yeah. type uh, music but it was it was full of passion it was well hard yeah it, it was uh, like it opened up a lot of doors for me for sure it opened a lot of doors of my taste in music you know it it felt like uh the distinguished version of lincoln uh, of limp biscuit like they did the rap rock <laughs> thing but it just had a little more character and like just a little more love in the music like you know it, it uh it definitely change that oh. taste in my mouth um i wish that i wish they would have advertised it like that they just you know they put the album up and that distinguished version of limp biscuit yeah down at the bottom that would have been perfect yeah, they probably would have doubled album sales on you, there. you're probably right and fred durst would have just had one more thing that he would have tried to sue over and lost um <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so so uh you know for me uh part of Part of, you know, growing up as a kid, I don't know, I don't know if you did, you know, I kind of always suffered from uh, self-esteem issues and, and, you know, being a a abnormally tall, abnormally skinny, red haired guy just really created a a atmosphere for me where I couldn't hide. Uh, And which was something I, I think all kids at that age kind of wanted to do. Did you, cause, cause now you, you're, you're fantastic, man. You're, you're motivated and positive and you seem like you have a fucking head on your shoulders. Did you deal with, uh, self-esteem stuff back then? Was it a growing transition for you? I did. You know, I, uh, by the time I got to middle school, I was on the back end of fixing a, uh, a speech impediment. I had a, had a pretty bad list. Um, with my S's, which ah. I still have to be conscious of. It's, it's actually one of my biggest fears of doing the podcast. Is, Was it? Is get, getting one of those uh, slips to come out. Because oh. my wife certainly, you know, at least once or twice a week, she'll hear me, uh, she'll hear my tongue. When my tongue doesn't stick behind my teeth, it, uh, 
And a lot of people have that problem. Yeah, yeah, so, they do. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, for a while, you know, I, I moved up to Alaska from Louisiana. I had a, I had a Southern accent and a lisp. Uh, so you can imagine how that sounds. We're, uh, I also was the kid that said ma'am and sir a lot. And you know, our town like that, you know, it, it wasn't like, you know, we, we grew up in a town where people expected you to be respectful, but also at the same time, for some reason saying ma'am and sir almost seemed like it was passive aggressive or like condescending to adults. So that a lot of adults didn't uh, look for you to, to say that. And maybe that's just my experience. No, but, I, uh, it, it was the same thing for me. I, uh, I was kind of raised around, uh, my mom ran the, the VFW in, in Soldotna there. So I, you know, I was from a young age, I was around a lot of veterans, um, from all over the place. And, you know, and, and at the time being a young kid, you know, that world war two vets were still full alive and kicking and all the way through world war two up to desert storm, you know, and, um, and, and yet sir and ma'am, was huge. And so I was kind of, not that my parents did it, but I was just around people who demanded sir and ma'am. It was a very structured kind of military-esque environment still. Um, and so I I kind of recognized the same thing that it's, it, you're right, it, it almost seemed passive aggressive. And it, I, I think that somebody, you know, from, from the way I felt about it, saying sir to somebody who didn't think of themselves as a sir Almost, yeah. it, it almost kind of felt classist, like like someone was trying to say, like, who who are are you better than me? Because yeah, you know, weird, yeah, yeah. You know, it's I think it's a lot of the rugged in, individualism that's up there as, as well, and you know, folks are are you know they shed out a lot of those titles. But for me, you know, that's just the way that I talked, and I felt like that would be the differentiator for me as you know as a, as a person. But now people are telling me that the way that I'm addressing them is wrong, and I've got this list, and I've got this whatever. So I mean, my uh, my self concept confidence took a, a pretty good hit uh, moving up to Alaska. And it took me uh, probably to the back end of, of middle school to start really finding my people, finding sure. the things that I like to do. A lot of that came from music. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, um, I really didn't have, I wasn't a sports kid, right. uh, like I mentioned earlier. Um, I like to read. I actually used to go over to my neighbor's house, uh, this this older retired guy. We used to play chess. So I was good at Beautiful. chess. Beautiful, yeah, yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, I, other than that, you know, I, I, computers, I got really big into computers and playing around with those things, uh, some computer games, but, um, didn't really start like actually having deeper, like friendships, relationships, probably until 13, 14, 15 years old. Yeah, man. I, I, I think, you know, I, I can, I can look back at, at like basically every friendship that I tried to cultivate or was cultivated for me in middle school and, uh, the, the parallel or kind of the, the, yeah, I guess the parallel between that and then the friendships that happened in high school uh, was night and day. You know, I mean, the 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 kind of friendship that you thought was a, a a solid, deep friendship in middle school turned out to just be, you know, like kind of the Fight Club esque single serving friend. Uh, sure. You're sitting next to each other in an airplane, so why not make conversation? Uh, right. You know, so yeah, it's I I, I definitely. Uh, kind of fit in with the same with that. All right. So, so high school, you, you start playing bass. Uh, what was, what, what made you want to pick up that instrument? What made you want to play an instrument? Did you feel it? Like, you know, what music were you listening to that said, I want to make that sound? What, what happened? Yeah. So I don't know if you remember this, but in middle school, um, there was a, uh, there was a group that's going, this is going way deep. Uh, so Jordan Olson, I don't know if you remember Jordan. hundred percent. Uh, yeah, obviously. His brother, Justin, 
uh, great, great musicians. Yeah. On. They, they'd been playing music for a couple of years. And Justin, phenomenal drummer, played piano. And Jordan and I were friends. So I used to go over his house and, you know, see how they could play together. And they, they didn't have to talk, right? But they could just they'd pick up instruments and start playing. And, um, you know, their household, their, their downstairs of the house was all built around it. Uh, and then there was this fun little side project band that had like seven or eight people in it. And they were all, for the most part, my friends. Um, it was called, uh, I think it was Worm. I think it was called Worm. Worm. Um, it, worm. And uh, so the, my contribution is actually I brought some of my dad's old vinyl. And I brought, um, he had a record player that had you know, speakers on it and stuff. And I was trying to like scratch. I was just trying to get into it. But I'm doing it to like, you know, original friends of like Boston. Oh, no. <laughs> Which is terrible now, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, so I... I I brought these records and that was my way of trying to fit into this band. Well, between eighth grade and, and ninth grade, you know, we split out the two or three different high schools yep, uh, yep. in our town and, and that band kind of just naturally dissolved, but I was still, still spending time with those guys. Uh, so we had a guitar player, we had a drummer and I'm like, well, how do I actually play in the band? They're like, you need to go get a bass. I mean, you gotta go be a bassist unless you can blow us away uh, with your lyrical prowess. And definitely that's not going to happen. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I went out and bought old Samick, um, beautiful, and a little you know, a little bulldog amp, and you know, just started picking and popping a little bit, learning you know all the songs that you start to learn. But yeah, um, songs that were popular at the time, right, were like Mud Shovel by Stain, some you know some of those songs that you can learn pretty quickly. Yeah, Godsmack um, songs, Godsmack yeah. songs. Yep. And so uh, we started playing together. We had a little band uh, for a couple of years, um, and then. Uh, yeah, but by the time we were kind of full swing in the high school, my my musical interest started shifting toward like metal. Yeah, or, yeah, know, harder heavy metal, and found myself in a metal band. And yeah, that was that was my extracurriculars all through high school. What was uh What was the band in high school? Uh, I was Kinetic. Oh shit, that's right, <laughs> dude. I remember going to uh fucking roller rink shows with you guys. Yeah, for sure. Holy shit! Yeah. And and then you played with um, Omerta. Uh, Do you guys oh, ever play uh, shows with Omerta? So, so, so yeah, Omerta is actually what uh, Kinetic became. So, oh, I was, was it? There, yeah, I was there with Chance, Joe Smith, Chance, and uh, Shane Dunn. Oh um, shit! Okay. Yep. And then uh, when I graduated high school, right before I graduated high school, uh, made the commitment to, to move to Idaho. Um, they brought in uh, some additional folks, I think Rob Zane, Trapper. Yeah. Yeah, uh, those guys, and they they changed the name one or two times, and uh, yeah, played for a handful of more years uh, on the peninsula, Anchorage, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rob, wow, I haven't thought about Rob Zink in a long time. Holy yeah, shit! All all really good guys. Oh, I, all, so great. Yeah, yeah. They were they were part of you know I hung out with with like like Jason was playing. Oh, what was the band? He water Waterhall. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. It was. Some, I think it was Waterhall, but Jason was in it. Uh, Rob was in it for a while. Jesse Glaves was drumming that. Um, I <laughs> man, that's so crazy to there think was, about that old know, music was, scene. Yeah, there was there was some cool bands at the time uh, on the peninsula that were yeah. influential to us. I mean, there was a, was a band called Clinch out of Kenai. Clinch was huge. Yeah. Called Inside out of Kenai. That was huge. Uh, so, you know, we found ourselves playing with those guys. Well, and then everybody uh, wanted to be 36 at that time too. So everybody wanted to be 36, crazy. which is so awesome that I, I now have a relationship with all those guys from being here in Portland and Mick Whitney oh, cool. and, and Mick Whitney, the bass player is coming on next week. He's my guest next week. He'll be over oh, at my man. house. It, so, it, uh, well, I'll tell you what, man, Mick, Mick Whitney had 
a huge influence uh, in uh, me playing bass. You know, well, 36 in general. Yeah. But I mean, all those guys are, are phenomenal. I mean, through the years, as their albums progress, they get better and better. So I've, I'm I'm excited for you to have him on, man. It's that's yeah. super cool. Yeah, this will be this will be the second time he's been on. Uh, I've had him on. I've had Steve Holt on, but Steve actually just moved back up to Alaska. Um, and then the drummer now, Kyle Baltus. Uh, you know, he he's been on a couple times. He's actually buddies with one of my real good homies down here. Uh, in a band called um, Ligature Marks, check, dude, they're good. Yeah. They're they're doing real good. And then now he's in uh, playing with Howard Jones from Killswitch, man. So, oh wow, like they're. Yeah, dude, I, I'll I'll never forget 2000 it would have been 2004. They played the uh, the Sullivan Arena in winter. Yeah, and it was just a packed house, and I was up against the guardrail the entire show. <sighs> Um, just got absolutely pummeled, uh, cause, cause you know, when they came back in town from a tour or whatever, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a big deal, uh, to get up there and go see the show even in the dead of winter. So, oh, yeah. was, uh, super cool. Well, yeah. Early two thousands, they had, the, they had that, 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 uh, string of two, three albums that just really pushed them over the top and a couple good music videos. And all yeah. of a sudden they went from who's 36 to everybody's like, holy shit. Like it yeah. blew, it blew me away. You know, when I moved, when I went to college, uh, went to Arizona right after high school. Um, and it, I went down there thinking I was going to show a bunch of Arizona people all about 36. And then I went down there and people knew, and I was like, well, <laughs> I guess they're not our homegrown secret anymore. Yeah, I know. I, I had the same experience here in Boise. I, I'd uh, tell people about these shows. They're like, yeah, I already have tickets. Yeah, I'm going. For sure, <laughs> like oh okay, amazing. Well, I guess we'll see you there. Awesome, man. All right. So, so uh, do you kept playing? Did you keep? I mean, obviously, you kept playing bass after high school. You went to college down there. Did you have bands in Idaho? Were you playing music down there? What kind of what happened there? Yeah, you know, I've I've been in a couple of jam bands here and there uh, for about you know ten years or so. Just uh, different people, you know, come over to the house and, and whatever. Um, I got serious about music again 2006 2007 time frame i uh was fortunate enough to play a couple shows uh with a neil diamond cover band uh, Whoa. solitary band and of course uh, solitary actually, band good good name good name yeah and uh so the the guys that uh you know the guys that are the guys and gals in that uh group are fantastic musicians i got to play with them for for two or three shows um in, in 2017 uh, definitely not something that I could keep up with. Uh, and, you know, obviously I think their, their caliber of, of um, musicianship is a little higher than yeah. somebody who's a hobbyist, right? And so of you course. want to make sure that the, the show is, is the best. So um, <laughs> they are so wonderful. They put on a, a, an amazing show two or three nights in a row here in Boise uh, at the uh, 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 Sapphire Room. Okay. So it's you know something to look forward to Christmas every year they they put all that together. So that's beautiful. Well, anybody in Boise, go check them out. That's awesome, man. Yeah, but but otherwise, I've you know I had a little '90s cover band. I was talking to a guy I worked with who uh, who used to be in a Fuel cover band, exclusively Fuel. Whoa! So and, like, uh, t- man, you know, honestly. <laughs> It's hard for me. It's hard for me to think what their set list would be contained of. Like they just shimmer ten times. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but uh, so we got together. We played. uh, We played a few. uh, Tried different people out in the band and tried to get to work. But he's since moved over into Salt Lake, and then you know just time commitment and where I live. I mean, I live 
almost 40 minutes outside of Boise. So oh, it's gotcha. a drive. Yeah. It's a drive to get back in. So, you know, right now uh, I play two or three times a month for a couple hours and good. just kind of enjoy the process and listen to uh, listen. I love listening to good bass lines right now. <sighs> I'm uh, my favorite, my favorite group right now for listening to bass is a band called soften the Clare. Uh, I don't okay. know if you've ever heard of them. Uh-uh. But, uh, so it's Boz Logan and uh, Ryan Martini from Mudvayne have oh. this acid jazz band <laughs> out of, <laughs> out of uh, North Carolina, and it just rips. Okay. <laughs> it rips so hard. Uh, it's totally worth a listen. Okay, okay, I will have to write that down. Yeah, I think we'll have to. I think we'll have to take a minute and share a couple bands back and forth. Um, the guy, as far as bass playing goes, uh, I've been. Uh, just obsessed with Thundercat. You hear? You have you listened to Thundercat? Know who Thundercat is? I, not, I don't know much about Thundercat. All right, okay. man, check him out. He is he okay. is just a bass player. He's a a session musician for everybody and and in the world. And he just plays this big old six string semi hollow body bass, all up high and tight. You know, and he is just a flawless technician, dude, and jazz guy chord just huge chord changes just he has such deep pockets that i get lost just trying to look inside of him like it's yeah for sure gnarly gnarly yeah there's there's music is so crazy man now like to, to think of what we were kind of getting exposed to as as you know preteens and teens to just the level i mean it seems like there's just no end to how fast somebody can play a guitar how good like all of it i don't know well, yeah, and it's, I, I think that there's a natural progression, it, just like anything else, right? So when you start with, with music, you know, for me, playing with, with Jordan and his brothers, a lot of influenced by, like, the Nirvanas of the world, right? So you start yeah. out as a power chord band, you know, and so that's what you're doing. Is you're sure. playing power chords, you're screaming, you're letting the emotions out, you're trying to write hooky lyrics and stuff that, that uh, feels right for yeah. the genre of music that you're listening to. And then as you progress as a musician, as an individual musician, and you start to dive into what that instrument is and the spectrum that's available. And you start to run into, oh, like Steve Harris plays <sighs> different than Les Claypool, plays different than Ryan Martini, plays different from – and then you, Victor Wooten. And you start <sighs> to see the spectrum of people that, that can actually play in the way that they play and, and the sounds that they create. And you're like, well, you know, I, I don't have to limit this to – Correct. This type of music. I can – explore and have fun and and uh, make my mistakes along the way and um yeah that, that i mean that was always the, the funnest part uh, especially toward the end of my uh my actual playing days in high school yeah 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 no i i i resonate with that so so soundly because you know uh, for me I, I, i'm a bass player as well um wasn't always that way i started out as a guitar player i became very much similar to you i became a bass player out of necessity uh you know, back in back in Kenai, Soldatna, uh, Sean Hoskins and Jason Smith were the Smash Bros, and and yeah. they they played all just cover songs and had a you know they were they were a party band. We were and and uh, we had one jam night. Uh, I was on guitar as well, and they're like, "Man, you should just start jamming with us as the second guitar." We you know that way Sean can solo and we don't lose the music. And like you know, it, it turned into this thing where all of a sudden a bass fit more than a guitar a second guitar fit um 
You need to add the look like a bassist anyway, man. You, <sighs> you've got that. You got that bass player look. Yeah, I know. Well, it's it also. I I make you know my body in itself makes guitars just too f- small. Like they yeah. just they're so small. So a ba- basses do fit. Um, but yeah, it, it came out of necessity. And like you said, you start playing the songs you recognize. You start playing all these songs you know and familiar with. And then all of a sudden you're hearing those songs different than you've ever heard them before because you you're playing them. And so you're yeah. thinking about you're thinking about the construction, you're thinking about how how the actual artists who wrote it fit that song together and all of a sudden music kind of evolves and it turns into this this inward look at it, not an outward look at it, right? Um and and you know, I kind of think of that the same way as I think of uh kind of internal motivation and positivity about any aspect of your life is is it always looks like this big scary thing from the outside until you take enough time to break it down into the the basic blocks of which every part of it's built on and then once you know what the blocks are made of then you just have to practice stacking them back up into the way that only works for you someone else will stack them different and they will get a good you know and it, and it it did become kind of this catalyst and this tool of growth for my my outward my look at life in general you know it almost seemed like uh, and maybe you can relate to this you know you you brought up Steve Harris uh just getting the triplet gallops down that, that, i was just going to say that i mean that's that, that is what opened my eyes to what it could be yeah yeah, his, his triplets were absolutely insane, and I had never heard anything like that. There was a guy who used to work at the music box in town; was a huge Maiden fan, um, and uh, he would he would play it. And I'm like, "What the hell are you doing with your fingers?" <laughs> and he's like, "No, he's like, dude, you have to get into Steve Harris if you really want to understand what this instrument can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially if you're into metal." Uh, and that opened up 15 years of me being you know, a huge Iron Maiden guy. Yeah, I'm 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 such a huge Iron Maiden guy. I'm uh they're they're one of kind of the big top five bands of mine that I have yet to see still. Like of, of everybody else, I've seen Dream Theater, I've seen Metallica, I've seen Tool, I've seen I saw Rush on their last concert, their last tour, the R forty tour. They came through Portland. You know, it was three shows before Neil Pert played his last show you know, Getty was everything that you would hope he was. He's an angel. And, um, yeah, so I've seen all those and Maiden's the last one to catch out my top five of, you know, three or four years ago, my wife, uh, surprised me with a trip to Las Vegas to go see Maiden live. <sighs> and, uh, it was, <laughs> it was one of the, was, was that on book of souls? Was that, was that on the book of souls tour? It was on the book of souls. tour. Oh yeah. It was incredible. It was incredible, man. I believe it was in Mandalay Bay and, it was just it was a blast man it was fun seeing twenty thousand iron maiden metalheads just packing the casino and uh yeah it was it was a great time man there's no there's almost no better feeling than a concert where everybody is there simply for the love of that band like like it's it 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 doesn't fail man it's you know i went i saw uh i saw metallica for the first time uh three or four years ago in CenturyLink, uh where the seahawks seahawks play in seattle uh, and you know, it was a packed stadium and, and I went in there going, man, I hope this is going to be cool. Like, you know, they're getting older and you hear all the, the kind of, you know, online stuff about how Lars doesn't play as good anymore. And like, they play slower and they're doing all this stuff. And I was just had all these pre things in my head of like, 
you know, the Metallica that I wanted to see and the Metallica I was going to see. And then you get there and you realize, oh, you're looking at four guys or, you know, Iron Maiden, five guys, Rush, three guys, whatever it is. And the fact that they love it so much just makes the show good, period, for anybody who loves the, the music. And uh, it it's amazing that feeling then can translate to any other part of your life, the work you put into anything. If you actually love doing it, then it's going to be good. You know, it's... Well, that's- you know, it's funny. It's funny you say that. And let me use this Please. segue just for a second. Yeah. Is, um, you know, when I got to college, I, ha- I had a very hard realization of, of what you just touched on, which is um, you can love something like playing music, um, but you also have to be really honest about what your goals are yeah. in life. And yeah. I had I made a determined or a decision. Uh, when I was 19, because I was still trying to play a ton my first year or two of college. I brought my PA down. I had uh, an archie full stack and a couple bases down with me. And I'm just like, I'm going to be in bands. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Um, But man, I I was a broke college guy. I had to work. I had to go to classes. Um, I was also hungry to experience life outside of a small town in Alaska. For real. And, And so like the amount of time that I was playing was going down. And though, and then it started to become a distraction for me. Sure. Um, and because I would get frustrated and I'd be looking like, well, am I going to do this homework or am I going to pick and pop? Like, <laughs> what, what am I going to do? Right. Yeah. And you know, for my first year in college, you know, I chose video games. I chose playing bass. I chose to occupy my time with things that felt comfortable, uh, to me. And part of that maturation process of being honest about what you're going to be a professional in or what you're going to do is like, I didn't have, I didn't have it. Like some people have it. They, they, they wake up in the morning and like, they, this is what they want to do. But that's yeah. something, you know, playing bass was something that I did. And so then I had to explore new avenues yeah. of, you know, where am I going to occupy my time? And let me come back to this. Like, let me put a pin in the love that I have for playing this instrument, for listening to this music. Let me be a fan. Let me play when I can sure, and carve out some time. But also let me go figure out me because this is probably not me. And that was a tough conversation to have. Yeah. Uh, with myself. Yeah. 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 It's, it, that's a great point, man. I didn't have that conversation till about three years ago with myself. You know, I, 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 I don't know if you felt the same way. I almost felt like going to college at first was almost doing it because it was something that was expected of me to do. It's kind of what, what was, what I was convinced that the status quo of somebody who's growing up does, right? Um, they, they just, they go on to a, a more school and they learn more. And, um, you know, now my, now granted, you know, the school I went to was an automotive school, so it wasn't, you know, I wasn't sitting down taking English 101 and, and, and all those things. I was fucking working on cars because that's my other passion to music is, is, is kind of the other half, yeah. you know, both of them, both of them are constructed and put together by people who know a lot about one specific thing. And then. Uh, it's up to everybody else to kind of deconstruct and reconstruct for per, in perpetuity out, you know, and um, but it. Yeah, I, I didn't when I like when I went to college, I wasn't thinking I would ever be a musician that I was just a fan. I wasn't even I, I mean, I brought an acoustic guitar down there with me because I could strum three or four chord songs around campfires with my buddies drinking and just make a good time. I wasn't yeah. ever thinking about being a musician 
I wanted to be a mechanic. I wanted to to work on, you know, uh, NHRA top fuel dragsters and and do this big stuff, right? I wanted to I wanted to go for the gusto and it wasn't until suffering the lack of passion yeah that I ended up moving back to Alaska. And then sp- spent quite some of my early 20s suffering from a lack of passion in in something. I had lots of dreams of everything, but there was nothing that was keeping me accountable to making myself happy past like immediate gratification, right? And so, and it, it really took, you know, within the last seven or eight years for me personally, moving away from Alaska again for a goal. Like, this thing is, is you know, now I'm not going to go out because something's expected of me. I'm going out because I expect something from myself. And right. and it, it is a flipping mindset. It's a flipping composure of, of what it means to fail from that point forward, what it means to grow, um, and who you can – you find so much less places to put blame other than yourself. Right. It, it is in that kind of seems like the catalyst again, like we were talking about, you know, in, in kind of the onset of the of the podcast was being taught that at a young age seems almost something that should be happening. Like, like, you, you know, it's as long if it's OK to fail, as long as you're failing to succeed at that, like if the fail comes in all of your you're trying everything to succeed and you fail at that. That's that that is the new foundation for the growth from there, you know, and 100 percent and 100 percent. I mean, the, the uh, you know, suffering, you know, I, I've heard uh, many times most men live lives of quiet desperation. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. a lot of that has to do uh, with knowing exactly what you want to do and, and being confident around those things and also looking for approval. I mean, that, that like looking for others to 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 validate your path and your journey. And then at some point in time, you start to shed that skin yeah. uh, and, and you really are able to start doing the things that you want to do because you're confident in, you know, as somebody who's navigated life uh, for a little while and you should dream big, you should have these audacious goals, but you have to be honest about if the fire is really burning inside of you to do it. Yes. And if you fail with fire, then you failed right. Exactly. But if, if you, but if you failed with no fire, then you know you could have gave more. All right. So, and, so, 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 so go a d- deeper on that. Let's play with that, that, that sentiment for a little bit. What did you, what did it take for you then to kind of shed the, the, the ideas that were not driven by fire and focus more on where that fire was? You know, I think for a lot yeah. of people, I think for a lot of people, because the idea is novel and cool, they almost fool themselves into thinking there is a fire there. Let's keep using that fire metaphor. It's- you know, and what do you think, what did you do in particular, but what do you think in general for people to navigate, you know, is this something that is actually inside of me or is it something that feels really cool? And if I was good at it, other people would really think that was cool too. Like, how do you navigate? How did you? <laughs> well, well, that's, that's it, man. That was my, it was, it was funny when I moved to Boise from Alaska, you know, I, I brought with me this kind of echo of you know i hey i was in a band like that's that's who jake is yeah you know i'm looking for another one those kinds of things 
Um, my first year in college, I was working at a retirement home. I'm just, you know, you're not making a ton of money when you're doing that. I'm, I'm biking to work all the time because I can't afford it. You know, the drive. Yeah. Um, they, you know, all the things that come with that. It took living life for a year um, as a semi. You know, I took. I think nine credits my first semester, 12 credits my second semester. They were English one-on-one type classes. Sure. And I got, I got a bunch of Bs. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, like, you know, I, I kind of like phoned it in. But like then you realize like, oh, I'm taking out all these college loans. I'm, you know, right now working a job that, you know, it's, it's going to be tough to pay the bills like long term on this thing. Like I better get serious about something. I better decide what I want to be a professional in because I'm not going to be a professional musician it doesn't mean that I can't be, you know, some people are professional athletes, professional musicians, professional, whatever. Yeah. Am I a professional? And at right. what? And then I realized I was an English major uh, that was wanting to study poetry because songwriting was natural to me. And I was always enthusiastic about reading literature and, you know, maybe wanted to go down those avenues. But then I didn't have a fire there e- either. So I was like, well, where can I point the ship? And it was at business. And then, you know, it, well, everybody's going to get a business degree. How do I get nuance? So then I picked very specific part of business called supply chain management, operations management. And then I got really good at that. I got obsessed with it. Uh, and when I say obsessed, I mean like it became my everything. What was it? What was it about it that, that hooked you that was different from maybe your, your average business degree or management degree? What, 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 what was so captivating? Yeah, I, uh, one, there wasn't a lot of students that were doing it, uh, at the time. I, I think at the time that, that uh, I became a supply chain major at, at Boise State. There was maybe 15 or 20 students that, that had that as a declared major. Oh, wow. Um, but it was such an important part of business. So if you look at, you know, who's the biggest company in the world right now is Amazon, right? Sure. What is Amazon? They're just a supply chain company. They're just really good at moving products. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to be in sales. I uh, wasn't naturally good at like accounting finance, like sitting on solving money problems with it wasn't interesting to me. Can I, can I ask I, I don't sure want to interrupt. Sold too. Can oh, I ask? Oh, sorry, sorry. The sales part, uh, for, for me, it, it strikes me, I, I would have guessed you probably wouldn't like sales because then you're kind of selling yourself, right? Yeah. Like, I, I think that that was, that was a lot of it. Uh, and I've actually had to become more comfortable with that over the years. And we can talk a little bit about that, yeah, uh, especially yeah. as, as my business endeavors grow. Yeah. Take me through, you know, take me through that, that, that trajectory. But, but for sure, when I was looking at kind of the, 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 buffet of majors um, in, in the business college, I was like, well, I would much rather be, you know, and this is just kind of an overgeneralization. I'd much rather be the person making the purchasing decision, making the buying decision on behalf of an organization, being taken to play golf rather than uh, being the person who's always like hungry for people's business, trying to appease them. Sure. Uh, and so, you know, for me, it was like, well, well what does that? Well, maybe supply chain, right? Um, and so, uh, that, that's, uh, that's the avenue that I explored and I actually got my undergrad in it. I got a master's degree in it and we got a bunch of certifications in it. And it's where I spent a lot of my career doing, solving problems of purchasing or uh, mm. warehousing or, you know, uh, uh, various process improvement yeah. problems. Okay. Okay. Um, that's, you, you really, you really like the algorithm then, right? You, you created a, uh, like you, like, like even we talked about before this, uh, the, the steps and the checklist. And then when you meet that, that algorithm, when you, when you fill out all the, the variables and plug yeah. it into the, to the equation, it works. 
right? Yeah. What, one of the first things I uh, learned, like, you know, the little quotes that you learn that you start to hang your hat on, like, hey, I, you know, these are things I know in the discipline uh, that I'm in. There's a guy named Edward Dimming. And one of his most famous quotes is, um, what is, man, I just had it on the tip of my tongue. Now, now I'm struggling to, to pull it out. But uh, variation is the enemy of quality. I believe that was Dimming. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Or, you know, or uh, a bad process beats a good person any day of the week. And I realized what a lot of this was, uh, was the fact that we just, you know, if you have a good system in place and then you hold people accountable to that system, you can generally produce the same outcomes over and over again. And yep. quality is such a driver of, of the market. And so if you get kind of good in that space, you don't necessarily have to sell anything to anybody. You just need to oversee or produce good quality. Awesome. Man, that's it. It it sounds perfect. It sounds so simple. It doesn't always work like that, though, does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And you know that's why there's you know people like myself who've made a career out of being uh, consultants, uh, project managers, process improvement professionals that have, have gone to problem spaces and tried to solve these problems on behalf of organizations or yeah. individuals. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. Fascinating. So so take me then. I I guess the gratification. Let, let me see if I if I probe this right. The you uh, analyzing a business's uh, procedure for growth, uh, either f- seeing that the people aren't upholding the good practice or the practice itself isn't good enough for the people working it, and you you tweak that. And so, I guess the benefit you receive is seeing the business benefit. Would that be correct? Yeah. Yeah. I always liked that. I, I always felt like that kind of was what made my mark or like what made the little, the, the little tally tick for me um, as far as my impact was, um, okay, here's this thing that we want to do, or here's this problem that we want to solve. That's going to make, you know, the day-to-day life of, you know, customers or people who work here better. Yeah. Okay. Now let's talk about all the people who are involved. Let's talk about the change Overall, let's talk about if those people are bought in or not, and then let's put a project together to execute that. And then once it's executed, how do we sustain that behavior? How do we keep that change up? How do we get people motivated uh, around changing what they do in the workplace uh, in order to achieve those results consistently? Beautiful. Um, And that's, you know, and that's where I found myself for, for the last decade or so. Uh, and you know, once again, that, that's a maturation process to, having a boutique management consulting firm like I do, and then now branching out and doing coaching with individuals and small businesses, bringing that same mindset and saying, okay, hey, you're a person and you're struggling. It's probably around organization. It's yeah. probably around goal setting. It's probably around discipline of executing the plan uh, to get the results or the outcome that you want to see. Let's unpack that. Uh, and it's been such a cool, uh, interesting conversation to have. I bet it has, man. I mean, it it honestly is is... From 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 my side, you know, I'm uh, in my actual day to day life. I'm a I'm a, a mechanic at a at a, a aftermarket, you know, four wheel drive customizing shop, and so so it's and it's me and one other guy, and it, we're the business. You know, it's 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 a small company. It's two people. One guy and takes all the work, and I do all the work, and and so it's been a fun, uh, like you said, maturate maturation process of of figuring out where the, the, the linchpins in the business are figuring out, exactly. uh, what you can do to better things without adding more stress. 
And then what parts of the stress that you get from adding more things do to your workload, right? And so it, it is, there's this kind of ebb and flow balance of uh, enough of a workload to keep you on your toes and having to do more. You know, you don't want to become lax. You don't want to become passive in the attack to gain, but yet you don't want to be forced to not be able to be passive, right? You kind of want to float that. Um, did you feel it also kind of taking that view, uh, adding back into your own personal life, not the business side when, when you're, when you're talking to people and, and helping, you know, you're kind of looking at their big plan and, and their dream and, and, and consulting on that. Did you find correlation to your own personal life as you're giving advice? Like, Oh, I'm talking to myself almost. Did has, yeah, yeah, but I, I think that there's there's a maturation process that goes on with that because I think that for the when you start to provide unsolicited opinions or even when people come to you and say, Jake, what do you think about this? You know, sure. I know this might be your sweet spot. Uh, you have blinders on to uh, are you actually that person? You know, are you actually oh. the one who's doing the thing at the level? And that was my issue for a long time is because I could. Yeah, I that's... could crush it for another organization. I had a real hard time uh, doing things for myself, mm. you know, and that's something that you have to you have to build up uh, to do so that you're you're role modeling all of those behaviors, all of those things that make high level execution possible. Yeah, uh, and if you're not focusing on it, if you're not working, you're just full of shit. Uh, <laughs> so I can give out great ideas uh, all day, but like you know, when somebody's like, well, you know let me look at your website and you're like, oh, well, you know, I just haven't gotten around to it. Yet. <laughs> and, and, and you can't be one of those people. So. Man, self-care. I think that's, that's the word for that is self-care. Yeah. And I, th and I think part of the story as well is, you know, I, so I told you, I, I dove head first into supply chain and process improvement, mm -hmm. project management, all these business disciplines. Um, and I was able to achieve what I would consider a successful career by my mid twenties. And so uh, as a consultant, getting on a plane, flying into a major area like Los Angeles, I worked in LA for two years uh, and I was a traveling consultant. So I flew every week. Uh, wow. And yeah. And it's, it's a really cool, um, you know, I, I was working as a program manager, really cool opportunity to oversee a very large IT infrastructure install. Um, and I was having fun. Uh, but at the same time, there were so many areas of my life that were getting out of balance. Yeah. And that's something that I had to learn to appreciate over time was that it is not just about how good of a professional you are. You have to take a 360 degree view at the way that you're treating your family, the way that you're spending time with your friends, the self-development that you're doing as an individual as well. Yeah, and I man. think you can, you know, from a music standpoint, you see bands do this all the time, right? They have crazy insane success but they're not ready for it mentally uh and the vices get them yep. right or you know the families erode and break down and you know all those things that that come with that territory um and, and certainly you know i was looking in the mirror oh well, five years ago looking at the mirror 242 pounds um Oof. yeah big you know i'm 511 uh but yeah you know it's pretty good size for me uh and i had no real physical hobbies uh, I had no real drive. I was drinking a ton, like, but here, here I am, like, you know, arguably 
hey, I'm successful in this sure. this little realm of business. Um, and I kind of lost the so what. Like, so what you read the book, so what you get on the plane, so what you're this business consultant. And that really started to open up my journey for what is high performance coaching. Yeah. Because that is that is maintaining a, a, a homeostasis in work and life. It's it's the blending or the confluence of the work life balance and the way that you're able to manage that ecosystem of obligations that you've made, goals that you have as a person, and then how that impacts your business life. So you can be so you can be happy. Yeah. And not and not always be the person that's like, well, I'm gonna do this later. I want to do this later in life, later in life. And then, you know, you, you reflect 40 years later and you didn't do shit. Right. Right. Wow. And and so is that, is that where, uh, taking a little of your own advice, doing a little bit of that, that inner looking of, uh, where that so fucking what went, um, BJJ came into that, uh, uh, weight loss came into that, yeah. uh, a known personal adventure, you know, uh, Set, I mean, it seems like a lot of the, the initial growth probably happened from the want of, of, of becoming successful. And then the actual growth came from wanting to grow within the success. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. my, uh, and I don't want to say it's a regret because, uh, I, I try not to have any of those, but you know, when you, when you have a powerful reflection of how you're spending your time, mm. um, you, you, you've got to be completely honest with yourself and you do for my my son's first year of his life i was home less than 100 days oh, right shit. and you know I, and I feel for anybody who's who's experienced more than that. i know uh you know military i know that you know there's certain occupations, certain yep. jobs uh where you are not getting the kind of time with your family that you wish you had uh and i got a taste of that and uh you know i had several months left on a contract in california i pulled the plug on it uh, and then took a, uh, you know, started to kind of close the doors in the consulting business I was running that through to go work for someone else for a couple of years and just try to go find myself. Um, that, and that was a big part of that journey is like, okay, I'm going to go be an employee now. Uh, I'm going to take a, a, a pretty substantial pay cut. I'm going to go figure this out because I'm out of balance in my life. Uh, and it did spark a journey uh, into, okay, I need a hobby. Uh, what did I do as a kid that I liked? Oh, martial arts. All right, let me try a couple of different those. Yeah. And, you know, whatever comes out of the other side, then, you know, I'm hopelessly addicted to Brazilian jiu-jitsu now. Um, <sighs> catalyst for my weight loss, catalyst for, you know, this kind of mindset of competition, which I didn't have a lot of as a kid. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, and then, you know, you keep building, you keep building. And uh, about a year ago, I ran into some people who, uh, you know, certainly were, we're achieving things with the same amount of time that I have <laughs> that I wasn't even close to. And you were going, uh, wait, wait, we have, we have the same day yet. You're yeah. getting all this done. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. and they, and they would say stuff like, Oh, we'll read this book, read that, you know, like read all these things. It's like, well, I've already done that. Okay. Well then I'll do the work. Yeah. Like show up. Shut up, saddle up, and giddy up, and do the work, do the thing, uh, and and I think you're going to have better outcomes. And so, um, you know, certainly that's uh, that's been part of the process of me saying, well, now that I have this insight, and now that I am role modeling those behaviors, now I feel comfortable uh, in that my days are full, and I'm yeah. executing at a high level, uh, and I don't feel like I'm just pontificating, telling other people to get their shit together. I feel like I'm 
a partner that is invested with my coaching clients or the businesses that I take on uh, to help them get the outcomes that they deserve. Well, and it's huge too. You know, there's kind of a there's kind of a trope about uh, motivational speakers where. Uh, yeah, okay, you're a motivational speaker and you're up here standing on a stage motivating a bunch of people, but are you motivated? Like, what did you do to yourself to change something so that you could be more motivated? Like, you know, and, and, and I think that's kind of a joke. And, and yet I find it very, uh, very telling that you did, you know, if, if you were to go to somebody in a small business or a personal matter uh, about life coaching or, or, or anything like that. And you can go, yeah, this many years ago, I was 50 pounds heavier and, and I, I had nothing moving toward, look at, I, I did the work on myself first. Now let's, you know, push it outward after it was inward. Um, that's, that's huge, man. Uh, yeah. Do the work is, do the work, man. is Society such forgives criminals. Society does not forgive hypocrites. That's, oh. <laughs> Period. Period. That's a mic uh, drop moment. I want everybody, everybody yeah, right now I listening. That was mine, man. That's a guy named Bedros Koulian who's, who's oh. uh, had a hell of a lot to do with my personal growth. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, you, when, you, when you hear something like that, you realize, oh, man. Life forgives criminals. Doesn't... It doesn't forgive hypocrites. That's, that's right. That's everybody needs to. I want everybody to pause on that. Yeah. Listening to this right now, go back, re-listen to him say that again, and then pause on it and Take a deep look in yourself because he just made me, Jake, you just made me do that and do the work. I resonate with that. But then where are you a hypocrite still? Where, right. where does that, and, and, you know, in that Venn diagram, in those concentric circles of where you spend your life and, and your, your, your goals, your drives, your ambitions, uh, your insecurities, where that whole thing over, overreacts overlaps it's the small overlapping section where the work is required right to, to to maintain everything else um but if you're neglecting one of the circles of your life and telling somebody else not to neglect any circle in their life no matter how but the size of yeah. it that's that's the hypocrite that you're right people society does not forgive that um holy shit that was a good that was good wow i had not heard that put that way before so i think i think we're definitely going to call this episode do the work um, do the work man that, that's, gotta do the work yeah that's that's huge well speaking of doing the work um we're gonna i want to take a little break we have a commercial from our uh, meditation app uh and then we will roll right back into more of this where i want to talk about actually doing the work we'll be right back hey Welcome back to Falco's 90-Minute Meditation Hour. I'm your astrally projected inner truth self and part-time earlobe model, Falco. All right, my astral friends, start by closing your eyes. Sit on your root chakra and let's meditate. Today's going to be a day of appreciation. Appreciate what about your life currently is going the way your inner being is guiding you. Take a big breath and breathe out. I'm thankful to be back teaching meditation. I was gone for quite some time. I thought I had come down with the COVID and was terribly sick. And no matter how hard I meditated to align my chakras, it just wouldn't go away. Come to find out, 
I was just really bad food poisoning from continually filling my face with spoiled kimchi and bad sushi? <laughs> Apparently, sushi does not last for months of quarantine. And it even said 100% GMO free. <laughs> Who knew? Anyways, I hope you are all feeling more aligned to your transitive astral selves. And your pineal is fully flowing, secreting those spiritual semen loads of serotonin and dopamine deep into the crevices, allowing you to fully recognize- Oh! Oh! It's, it looks like we've, we've made it down another 90-minute road again, friends. Ha ha ha! Hare Krishna! Thank you, everybody. We are back. Uh, that was a lovely uh, guided meditation from our astral being Falco. He uh, he is such a warm and welcome place in this show. I'm glad we found him uh, homeless under a bridge in the uh, San Clemente Valley. Yeah. Anyway, awesome. <laughs> thanks, man. Yeah. No, that's a uh, uh, that's a. Uh, Part of part of the fun of doing this for me is, you know, it, not wanting to be a hypocrite and wanting to do the work meant that I had to go outside of a bit of a comfort zone. And I, you know, other than being a musician, I like part of me wants to go and be a stand-up comedian. Yet I don't want to do. I already recognize I don't want to do the work. To be out in a club in front of people doing that work, but I am I I want to cultivate humor. I want to make people laugh. I want to be tongue in cheek. I want to you know. And so I recognized in other podcasts, everybody does you know plugs and and advertising and and promoting something that most of the time doesn't actually have anything to do with the person who's promoting their thing, right? You know, it may be a product they try, whether it's, you know, uh, Blue Chew or, or uh, uh, you know, a butcher box or, or some kind of, you know, food service or something like that. All these people promote the stuff. And in my head, I went, well, that's all fine and dandy, but what it, it doesn't tell me anything about the person. So I said, well, why not just spoof commercials. Why not take a little time, write something about myself that actually means something about me? And like, you know, in that thing with Falco, it was the point I was actually trying to make was, hey, you're going to do all this work to meditate, but you're overlooking the fact that you're poisoning yourself with food because you tried to meditate and you didn't think about this sure. thing, you know? And and it's, it's kind of recognizing those self-destructive cycles, getting out of that mode, but yet being able to laugh at the fact afterwards that you put yourself in that in the first place. And so, yeah, we, you know, I make fake commercials about fake things and, and just try and make people laugh and have to listen to it. And then all of a sudden they realize, oh, wow, they were just laughing for a minute and a half of a skit that I did. And they're, they're better off afterwards. They're, for a minute and a half, maybe they didn't do anything. You know, and it's tongue in cheek meditation, but honestly, that minute and a half of that thing, they're meditating because they're not thinking about themselves. They're just focused on the thing in front of them. And it's just it's just that movement. It, it's so easy, yet people are adverse to the easiness. Yeah. I, I, you know, you, you hit on two things that you absolutely have to go have 
uh, you know, the first thing is principles, yep. right? And so you have some principles about the way that you want to run this podcast. You have principles about the way you want to live your life yeah. and honesty, right? And yeah. it's, if those two things are, you know, linked together and you know what you stand for and you know when to be honest with yourself about when you're deviating from that standard that you've set for yourself, um, you know, all, all of a sudden things start to fall into place for people. I think oftentimes the incongruence of those two things, um, yeah. you know, Sometimes people are going through life and they can be really honest with themselves, but they don't have principles. Um, so they're just kind of feel like they're lost. They don't have the guideposts of where they're supposed to be going sure. uh, or, but they can, they know when something doesn't feel right. Or maybe they, you know, they want to do something, but they're having a hard time being honest with themselves because maybe really deep inside, it's not their thing. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, no, I applaud you for that. I was, <laughs> I was sitting here laughing my face off. I didn't know if I could talk to you. Well, that was going on because I, I was about to ask you some questions about that commercial. Please, please go ask him now. Ask him now. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm just joking. I, okay. I, I just, I thought it was hilarious. Man. Good, good. Um, well, you, you know, you're right. And, and I think with principle and honesty comes, um, I, th- I think there is a, th- a third part that I would probably add to that. And all it is, is stress. And, or, 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 or the capital R resistance, I think is actually a better way, right? Uh, it, not so much stress because stress almost simulate, uh, almost kind of, uh, c- includes it being from an outside thing. And I think resistance is the good word because it comes from within. And so, uh, you can be honest with yourself. You can have principles that you honestly want to follow, uh, but it's it's actually overcoming the next part, I think, which is the hardest part is is the resistance that you have to maybe change a principle, right? or or maybe um recognize that the the resistance that is you you give to yourself because you're scared to be honest, yeah. you know that 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 then, modifies the principle negatively or you know it's kind of this three-way rotating die of yeah yeah you you know i i look at stress you know obviously you've got negative stresses and you've got positive stresses right you've got sure all those externalities are always going to hit you i think the the um kind of the difference is if you know if you looked at pressure going straight down so if you put your your fingers on your hand flat and you just pushed against them. Yeah. You're putting stress on your hand. Right. Yep. But the immediate you change the angle, right. You put a vector to it and start pushing your hand can move. Right. So you can operate with stress. Yes, you can. Um, the resistance that you're talking about, if you were to put something up on the path of that vector, those that that's the resistance that you have to break through. You're always going to have stresses. You're always going to have to operate with stresses. And as long as you're pointed in the right direction, that stress should, you know, I got, I have stress to pay some bills. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I mean, you know, huge, I, I, most man. people do. Right. Uh, yep. And actually I welcome that. Like I, I like doing that. I used to take on way too much and then I'd have a high percentage rate of failure. Uh, and when you operate consistently with a high percentage rate of failure because you're taking on too many projects, mm-hmm. you start to erode some of your confidence, which increases your resistance to start taking on new things. A hundred percent. Yeah. So if you can stack the wins, you know, if you can take things on at the right pace that are going in the right direction for your life goals or your business goals, um, you know, that those little bumps in the road kind of get smaller and smaller, that negative self-talk starts to, the volume gets turned down on it. And then, yeah. you know, you start to have a lot more confidence in the things that you're doing and you start to embrace that stress and stop putting up all the walls. Yeah. I, 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 
I relate to that so well. And, and, you know, I, I think part of, and it's funny, it's, it is just kind of like this, this trinity of these, these three things rolling, rolling around, because as you're talking about, you know, overcoming that resistance, letting those bumps be smaller, letting the voice that, that negative discounting voice get turned down. Um, that's when the honesty then becomes the most crucial because you do want to inevitably stack that column of wins, but what you don't want to fall prey into is counting the wins, but ignoring the misses. Right. And so, so that, that creates a thing when, when the honesty then circles its, its ugly head back around and go, Hey, yeah, you've gotten a few wins, but man, you're ignoring all the fails over here. Those fails are part of the voice that if you're not letting it talk to you would be a detractor. But as soon as you recognize those failures and you're counting the wins, you're also counting the failures, then you actually have the honest truth of where movement needs to happen from there, right? What the level, what the resistance load in front of you is, uh, is very dependent on the honesty of the resistance you failed at last time. And that's a, that's a hundred percent. And then that's one of the things I love about coaching, right? Because in life, like in baseball, you have a hitting coach. Yeah. Okay? The hitting coach will tell you that you hit one out of 10 curveballs. And guess what you're going to be working on in practice? You're going to be working on hitting curveballs. Right. Because when you get to the game, all the pitcher is going to throw you is curveballs. And, you know, they're trying to stack the odds in their favor to win. So if they know you've got a weak spot, that's yep. what's coming for you. Yep. And in life, you don't necessarily have outside eyes telling you, like, hey, man, you're doing awesome in all these other ways, but you're not hitting curveballs worth of shit. Uh, and we need to start unpacking what a curveball is in your life. And, and we need to start working on you know, how, how do you get a higher hitting percentage for those? Because you need those wins, too. You, you do. To be, you, know, you need to be built to win yep. across the board. Beautiful. Um, yeah. So I, you know, that's, that's the exciting you know, to tie it back into, uh, to coaching, but I think you make such a great point uh, about the confluence between honesty and stress and resistance, uh, and principles you know, that yeah, that's the principles yeah. and, and the self-reflection that you have to take the honest inventory taking, uh, of right. what's going on and what you're really willing to do about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, jujitsu. Um, I, I have, I am utterly fascinated with it. I, I watch, man, I watch all the Abu Dhabis. I watch all the, 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 the submission undergrounds. I, I am such a jujitsu nerd and I've never rolled. And yeah. it, 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 in fact, one of my buddies who, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, he's a vocalist for that, the Ligature Marks band here. Um, he's a brown belt roll and he rolls with, um oh god i can't remember the name of his gym here in portland right now um it's not 10th planet is it no he does not roll 10th planet he rolls um oh god i i i, I i'm so sorry i'm skipping it no you're fine, um, you're totally um, fine yeah. but but he's been telling me forever he goes dude you got to come roll with me yeah. and and this is like this is my ego this is this is where i am still letting and i, I recognize it you know I'm letting my ego kind of dictate me going and starting this thing um, because I recognize it's going to be a time commitment. I recognize it'll be a personal mental commitment and physical commitment. Um, and I'm going to take a lot of L's starting out. Oh, 
Oh yeah. It's you like know, two years at least of L. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I, and, and it's, it's one of those things, you know, I wrestled in middle school, wrestled a little in high school, always was kind of an active guy. Uh, I, I love the physical contact and the idea of high level physical chess. You know, I've heard it described yeah. so many times and like you said, you know, I was a chess guy. I was, I was in high school chess club. I was one of those nerds that would go up and play chess instead of hanging out with friends at lunch. Like that was, yeah. that's what I did. Um, and so intuitively the, the jujitsu world makes sense as the next step for me, just modifying my character. And yet there is a resistance that I put up that I, I don't think I've quite, I don't know. I, I haven't fully identified it. I think I've kind of, uh, strained from identifying it yet because it, I don't know it it's intimidating it is one of those yeah. things that that involves so much of yourself that it 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 almost seems outwardly painful and not physically I mean you know like it, it seems like you're setting you are setting yourself up for for pain um how was that how did you come into it how did you make that step that leap? roll for your first time what did you feel like how did how did you take that personal because it's a huge step for me honestly yeah. I'm, I'm sweating right now thinking about going over to my buddy's house he has downstairs he has mats on his he has he has mats at his house and he'll go dude i will roll with you and i promise i won't i won't ankle lock you for the first month we roll like yeah i don't know i can't do it so how did you you know i was uh I think the benefit that I had was not really understanding what jujitsu was. Ah. Uh, number one, like I, I had a striking background. I did a lot of uh, karate, kickboxing, things like yeah. that over the years, hitting bags. Uh, and it felt pretty confident from a striking standpoint. Um, though the more that I dive into martial arts and what it really is, like, you know, obviously um, my striking is terrible uh, sure. <laughs> compared to how good striking can be. Right. Um, and so I, I, you know, I show up first day. You know, I what made you want to go? What's that? What made you even want to go? Um, you know, it's funny. I was uh, I was taking uh, products from a company called Onnit. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oddly enough, and uh, I had an Onnit sticker on a, on a laptop I had at work, uh, and uh, one of the guys who uh, worked in IT saw it, and he was a jujitsu guy, and, and gotcha. he said, "Hey man," he's like, "Do you?" Uh, he goes, do you do jujitsu? I was like, well, why are you asking that? And he goes, well, he goes, a lot of guys, you know, it's natural. It's like the the Joe Rogan, then the Onnit, and then the jujitsu. Sure. <laughs> I was like, well, no, I haven't, I haven't done that, but I've heard of jujitsu. And he's like, J just come out for two weeks. I'll give you a free pass at where I go, and and uh, you can go train. So uh, I show up, and and uh, you know, I did like the two weeks, and I really liked it, uh, but I hadn't really rolled with anybody yet or seriously you know i'd learned some positions and whatnot and yeah the, the thing that had not happened is the, the start of my ego getting dissolved mm. um, because there's all these nerd assassins out there that will mess you up so yeah i rolled my second time i rolled i rolled with a 15 year old kid he was also uh, uh you know he'd been doing jujitsu for five years he was a wrestler it's like a sophomore in high school freshman in high school something like that and he tuned me when I say oh. tuned me, I just mean I'm a grown man getting thrown around by this kid. Yeah. Uh, who's just sweeping me and taking my back and, you know, choking me out. And I'm, and I'm wondering, like, 
you know, I, I would see that kid nine times out of 10 and uh, 10 times out of 10 be like, I'm not going to have any problems with that kid. And he legitimately uh, showed me what was up. And so, you know, after that, you know, I, I started to learn what they mean by a white belt mindset. Mm. Uh, and I still try to have that today. Uh, you know, sometimes guys who are lower ranks than me will, they'll, they'll tap me out and you can't get mad about it. Where, so where, where, where are you at in right now? Are you blue purple? I'm, I'm a four stripe blue belt. So oh, I'm, beautiful. I'm, sne- I'm sneaking up on a purple belt. Um, maybe sometime this year, maybe early next year. And um, you, you roll Rhino Gracie. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm out here at uh, team Rhino, uh, Gracie jujitsu yep. under, uh, professor Keith Owen. Yeah, um, Keith's yeah, huge. You know, I've, I've actually, you know, traveling for work. I've, I've hit up Portland a couple times. I got two schools I like out in Portland, and, and one of them's with Phil Schwartz out there at Tenth Planet, Portland. Yeah, yeah. Great, so many great schools out there. Yeah, actually, my buddy Ben. So, so my my jujitsu friend Ben, he's also the graphic designer for Datsusara. Oh wow! Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's a great brand, man. That's, yeah. Uh, uh, their geese are awesome. They're, they're nasty bags. They're awesome. They're well, and, and then, and so, so yeah, and it's funny, man, this, it, it seems like the jujitsu community is kind of one of these places that is an untapped treasure trove of interesting people, you know, through this, through meeting him, he knows jujitsu all of a sudden, you know, three or four episodes ago, I had Daniele Bolelli on my podcast and like, it's, it's because of jujitsu. Yeah. Nothing else but that, 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 that these things blossom. And I was like, holy, sh-, like it's almost the next level of, of, of growth. I think it, yeah, there's, there's certain subcultures that, that don't have prerequisites, right? No, nobody's really expecting you to be a certain age, gender, nationality, or certain, like, you know, have other types of hobbies. I mean, we've got everybody from, you know, big time it nerds to firefighters, policemen, yeah. Yeah. you know, people that take a month or two off to go hunting. And then, you know, some people who are absolutely against hunting, you know, all in the same place. And it, you know, it's funny because it's like when you get on the mats, nothing else matters. It's all about just trying to help people get better. It's the equalizer. Uh, Try to learn. And you know, there's nothing like quieting the voices in your head, <sighs> like somebody trying to choke you. Uh, so that's something I've learned, you know, for me, ultimate stress release is, you know, you work all day, you show up, put on the gi, you slap and bump and, and, uh, you make good friends. And, um, also for my weight loss, for my physical fitness, it was like, I don't like, I don't like being suffocated. I don't like people laying on top of me and me not being able to move. Like, man, I better show up to the gym. I better be working out. I better Mm -hmm. have mobility and dexterity and, uh, all these things, if I want to compete at a higher level or if I, or if I want to, you know, earn my merits and, and climb yeah. the belts. That's, that's awesome, man. How long have you been rolling now? Uh, about five years. Oh, five. Well, shit, you're, you're well into it. Um, and, and do you roll both gi and no gi or, or? I do. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like mo- most schools are primarily, uh, gi schools. Um, our, our school does this, uh, kind of summer of no gi. It'll take like six to eight weeks and then we'll really work on, you know, some of those techniques uh, yeah. that are more nogi style, a lot of leg, a lot of leg games during the summer, a lot of, uh, pummeling back of the head, arm drags, fun stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then do you watch, um, combat jujitsu? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I, I, I like all that stuff, man. I, uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, one MMA and then two, you know, kind of the, the strange subculture of, of not just combat jujitsu, but you know, all the different um, 
Yeah. Submission Underground, yeah, everything that happens there. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Fight the winds, all that good stuff. Yeah, it's so good, man. It's 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 there's so much always happening and going on that it, it really is kind of this never ending uh look at uh, I don't know, it's it's almost like a macro view at a very microcosm of life, but when you watch somebody coming in there and they're confident and they roll and all of a sudden they get just caught and tapped and they weren't even out of breath yet. It was just this transition that all of a sudden they, you know, they missed one clue. They missed, uh, and yep. uh, you know, a hand placement. They missed something, and all of a sudden, boom, their arms caught. Boom, their necks caught. And and it it makes you go, oh, you can. It makes me from an outside go, oh, you can be the most prepared for something in your life, and still something unforeseen happens, and you're just part of it you 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 roll with that flow of the tide and it just you move have to you have to move past and i don't know if you've ever watched like uh, poker on television or anything like that yeah you know you know that you can see the hands of everybody at the table like while you're watching right and then next to the hands they put a percentage probability to win based on what they're they're dropping uh you know whatever the flop return the river all that good stuff and those percentages change as new cards enter the mix, yep. right? Yep. So, and you know, it's funny. Um, you know, jujitsu is such a calculation of that internally. Like, you sure. have to know, you know, when they're ninety percent and you're ten percent, and you better. And if you don't have an answer, um, you know, that's when you get better. Obviously, it's also when you take one of those losses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you sure mentioned is. earlier. Uh, so it's a constant calculation because your bodies are moving so fast. Um, and you know, the, the really high level guys are the ones that, that, uh, just don't even have to really think about it. They're just calculating and moving and getting to their spots. And, uh, it's beautiful to watch really high level guys do it. Guys and gals for sure. I, I, I absolutely enjoy, you know, there's, there's a couple things like I really love to do on off time when I, when I can actually tell myself, Hey, I have a moment right now. All my shit's done. I've you know, like within this last month, um, me and Jason, uh, started a, like a hundred day challenge. And so what we call it is the hundred day, hundred hour challenge. And it's for anybody on literally anything. It could be painting. It could be wood carving. It could be calligraphy. It could be going for walks. You have, I guarantee every person out there right now has one hour a day that they can do something for themselves. Absolutely. So tie that one hour to the next day and make it two hours in two days. And pretty soon you'll have a week down and that's seven hours. It's almost a whole work day in just a week where you could devote to yourself. And so we made it the hundred day challenge. And we want to say for a hundred days straight for an hour a day for a hundred days, you're just going to do something. The same thing, devote to one thing and do it. You know, all of a sudden it turned into for me, I, mine was playing bass. I, you know, I've, I've been a musician this whole time I've been down here. Um, but I can honestly tell myself in the 13 or 14 years that I've been p- playing bass to be somebody as a bass player, I have never gone a hundred days straight practicing every day yeah. in the whole time. I, you know, as much as I love it and as much as I want it now, some days I'll go two or three hour practices, but then there'll be a day when I want to go on a hike or go to the coast or do something. And I just won't pick up a base that day because I'm doing other shit. Well, this in, in turn has turned me into going, Hey, UK, yeah, go to the coast, go have your day trip, go have fun. But when you get back, you have an hour 
that you have to then still go and play that bass. You know, Jason's playing guitar. Uh, I have a couple other buddies who are painters who are painting for an hour a day. And all of a sudden, you know, there is the the old adage of you do something enough times in a row, it becomes a habit. Well, right. now I don't even have to feel like I'm playing for an hour a day. That The first week of an hour a day, that hour went by slow. Now it doesn't feel like anything. And so, you know, I, I, I think there's something to be said about making it routine um because i think everybody owes themselves a routine absolutely you know? yeah i i agree with you a thousand percent and, and that's something that uh, i've been building in my life for for the last number of years which is learning how to not just be disciplined but stay disciplined right yeah and and having having those high standards things like or they say that the higher your standards, the more boring your life tends to be, right? Because if you're holding yourself to this high standard uh, of playing an hour a day, it means, you know, if you're sleeping for seven or eight, hopefully you're getting seven or eight, right? Yeah. Uh, then, then, you're, then you're losing an hour that you could go play with, do something with your friends or do something with whatever. But if, you, if you're saying this is what's going to happen, um, you know, you're, you're feeding that fire first. Right, right. Well, you know, I, I really took to heart uh, I love that this podcast has been a, a, a lot of uh, helpful sayings. You know, discipline equals freedom. Right, a Jocko uh, for sure. Yeah, I love Jocko. You know, it is. Yeah. It, he is. He's kind of one of those underlying motivators for me, um, which is awesome because I I have almost zero actual real life relation to the kind of life Jocko's lived. Sure. But yet, when he talks, all I hear is him talking to me. Because it actually applies. And and I didn't realize how much better I would feel going to bed every night knowing, you know, for me, it's like, man, I get off of work. I, I work, you know, five days a week in a shop, in a concrete box. I, I'm busting my hands and, you know, I have cuts all over the backs of both of my hands from just being a mechanic. Um, and yet I still want to come home and get that hour of playing done, get you know, get, get my food. I cook dinner almost every night and I've make myself do that because it, it's supplying, I'm supplying myself with nutrition and, and I didn't believe discipline equals freedom until I became disciplined in those aspects. And I realized you get home, you knock it out, you're done. And then you're free. Like it's, yeah. you're, you're not, you know, you are not free if you're procrastinating doing a thing. All you're doing is procrastinating and that is jail. That is prison. It, it, as soon as you do it, then it's done. Then you don't have to do it until you have to do it again. And like, I, I, it, it's, it's one of those other things that I wish at a, as a kid, you would have, uh, you know, I, I'm sure I was taught it. I'm sure you felt you, you were taught it, but I'm sure it felt like they were telling you to do it, not suggesting that you do it and it make you better. I don't know if, did you, pl- yeah, let me. Let me flip it on you. I, Please. I think what is uh, what was underplayed, right? And two things. The first thing underplayed was everybody told you you could be anything that you wanted to be. Yeah. But they failed to mention how absolutely hard you would have to work to get. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that I mean that was the first one. It's just like you can be anything. Yay! Good for you. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I think the second thing um, as I'm flipping this on you. Please. Um, Actually, no, let me spend a little more time on that. Yeah, do it, do it, <laughs> do it, do it, do it. That, yeah. You could be anything that you want to be because I, I don't think I've done talking about that first. Um, you know, deciding what you want to be, 
and deciding who you want to be. Just having the conversation that that's going to be fluid in your life. Yeah. Like you're going to evolve into many different people with many different goals and many different things. And that you need to set kind of a overarching North star to get there. Sure. And you need to be okay with delayed gratification and you need to be okay with, with, you know, you're doing this thing a hundred, you know, what what would you say? A hundred days. Yeah. A hundred days days for a hundred days. Yep. Let me, let me tell you what would stop all of that. The second that you break the promise to yourself. Oh yeah. The second you break the promise to yourself, because that that's really what you're getting out of that experience is doing a hundred days of keeping a promise for one hour yep. every day for a hundred days. 100%. And if you can get in the habit of not breaking promises to yourself, then you can be whatever you want to be. Because then you know when you decide not just to put in the work, but what the work is to get done. Yeah, that you're going to follow through with it. And and it's such an important thing that you and you and Jason and and your friends are doing right now. Uh, And we see this in fitness challenges. We see this in all this. But what happens is you do the 100 days and then you stop. Mm -hmm. Right. So then what your next step is, is how do I how how do I just add this into my operational plan as a human being? Right. How, How does how do I ensure that task and audit is happening and holding myself to that new standard? Uh, that I've put into place. And, it, and it's an interesting problem to solve. And it's a fun problem to solve with other people who are experiencing the same type of journey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, it, it, it is, it's a huge process. And I think the idea, you know, where, where I came up it is, is I see a lot of people do it, you know, do a 30 day fitness challenge or, or try and do this thing for three weeks or, you know, they always put a time limit on it. And I think on the outset, we didn't want to put a time limit on the number of days to have to do it because I think that gives some some people who want to undertake a challenge, who want to better themselves, a quit date. I th- I think I think and and while you want you want a goal to push towards, some people also take that as the goal to stop at. And like, look, I made a hundred days. I did it for a hundred days. I'm done, you know, and, and we started and we were like, should we do this for 30 days? Should we do this for 60 days? 90, like what's, you know, well, a hundred days is a little weird. It's not kind of generic. It doesn't fit equally into calendars, but also it's long enough. Like for me, I'm 60 or 70 days into this thing. Now I I've honestly lost track. And that was the point. The point was to set it up to do something long enough where all I think about is coming home not to knock out day 60, but to just get another hour of practice. Right. You know, and and it's to the point now where I feel really weird if I haven't nailed it by a certain time in the day. Like, you know, if I get off work, I'm planning on coming home and I got that hour of practice before dinner starts. Well, if something just happens to happen where time gets used up, now, now I'm cooking dinner. I haven't played my bass yet where, you know, now this time is coming from after dinner. Well, something else will have to be given up for that. Right. And, and that, that game, that playing thing lets you evaluate, well, all right, I'm gonna have to give something up to make this goal. The thing I'm giving up, is that as important as this goal? Like where, 
Is it more important? Am I actually losing out on something because of this goal? You have to be okay with losing out for a goal, right? But the goal should also, by keeping that goal, be improving you. Like you shouldn't be losing out both ways. It, you know, I, I, and I think that is in doing these challenges, in being a, a person of growth and of motivation, kind of the, the struggle to prescribe to others, right? Because for yourself, you can make that change. You can do that thing. You can modify your life to fit around your goals. You can create new goals within that and, and, and push yourself forward. But then you prescribe it to someone else. Right. And so, it, 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 you know, you're, you're talking about um, a, a topic near and dear to my heart, right? So please, yeah. we can, we can all get around making minor modifications to our lives for short durations of time. Mm -hmm. But as you start to operationalize those things and they became a standard part of your day-to-day operating procedure, it really is a byproduct of time management. Yeah, It's a byproduct of prioritization. It's a byproduct of getting it on the calendar and scheduling your life around those things which are important to you. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if it's date night with your wife or, or husband or whomever. It doesn't matter if it's your, um, you know, your jujitsu schedule. If it's important to you, your band practice, if it's important mm-hmm. to you, it'll make it on the calendar first. Yeah. So there's a point in time where your 100-day exercise, if you want to sustain it, needs to kind of get elevated into this new yep. territory where it's like, okay, this is the thing that I do an hour a day now. And where am I going to fit that in? Because Tuesday is different than Wednesday because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's the, that's kind of the fun process, uh, especially for business owners is fun process for individuals who are looking to change or get more out of life. It's, it's, it's all about organization. It's all about, right. okay, now I have the goal. I want to be a better musician. Now I have the task, which is play an hour a day. <laughs> now I got a problem to solve, which is how mm-hmm. do I play every day? Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, well, uh, and, and part of it also, isn't it, wouldn't you say it has to also do with personal expectations of what your life deserves? Like if you're sure. somebody, if you're somebody who thinks, Hey, I just worked a job. I now deserve to do nothing for some, a time allotted time of the day because I did something before this, like to think that there is a balance that is necessitated in life, uh, I think is one of the other pitfalls. You know, there, there are people who think, think because they work, they deserve vacation or to, yeah. Relaxation entitlement. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. That's the word I use for it. It's like, I'm entitled, I'm entitled to, um, you know, put off these other, like, all you're doing is robbing your future self. You are. That's all you need, right? You made a social contract with yourself and your mind, and you're willing to rob it because you've got, you know, this new variable that comes in, which is this, you know, personal entitlement to take back some of your time to have mindless whatever. That's fine. It's, it's, I, I guess it's fine to do sometimes, uh, but if you're consistently breaking those promises, uh, you're not going to get anywhere close to where you want to go. And to your point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, and, and I think, I think, you know, even on the deeper, a little deeper than that is, is you will down the road. Yeah. You have robbed your future self and the future self that will be looking back on that will not remember you relaxing. They will remember you not doing things. So exactly. I will remember 
if 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 I was to lapse on a day of my practice, or if I was to for not fulfill one of my things, you know, the the time that I allot myself to come in here and record new skits for future episodes, to to get anything done, all I remember is not doing that thing. I don't remember the fact that I looked at Facebook for forty five minutes, like it, you know it. So that's the game that you have to play with your future self, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, in, in my early uh, process improvement consulting days, as I was getting trained up in, in a framework called Lean, there's a tool that you use called 5S. Uh, and there's five Japanese words that start with S, but, you know, from an Americanized version, it goes something like sift, sort, sweep, standardize, then sustain. So again, that's... Can you know, say that one more time? Sift. Okay. So go yeah. through the things yes, yes. that are around you. Yep. Sort them into logical categories. Sweep. So clean up that area. Clean up anything that's not in the category. Yeah. Right. Okay. Standardize, which means start to put some standards around that body of work or how you would use that area. And then the hardest part is sustainment, right? So how do we put processes into place to do those things the same way all the time? Because yeah. we clean our garage for spring cleaning because we didn't have a place for everything all year long. Because, because we didn't put our tools back where they go because we just left the leaf blower, you know, wherever or didn't have a regular cleaning schedule. So here we are, March, April, opening the garage after winter to this filthy place. And you're like, man, why am I always spring cleaning? Well, because you don't have processes and you're not sustaining. Right, right. Well, yeah. And, and I think that also comes to the sweep is that inventory, that personal life inventory you need to make going, man, why did, why is my garage always dirty? Now, why am I always spring cleaning this fucking garage? Well, because in the fall you acquire new things and you never purge the old, right? Wow. Yeah. That's, I like that, that, that five, that is a pretty succinct way to, to, to put that man. Well, and this, you know, it's a lot of what I do with, you know, segueing it back to the reason I'm here as well. It's just from a, from a coaching standpoint, Yeah, I like using these rigid process improvement methodologies and then applying them to everyday life, just that the way that people live, because you can, that's a, such a great metaphor. It transcends so many things, whether you're talking about finding time to play guitar uh, or whether you're talking about, you know, the way that you run or manage a business. Sure. Understanding what's there being honest about what's there and deciding how you're going to manage your, your life moving forward. I, I, I mean, it's all in the same uh, ballpark. Yeah, it totally is. And you know, applying yourself to any one thing is scary. Um, the only thing scarier is realizing you never applied yourself to anything. And I, uh, I urge, you know, I think you're a great model, a great example of this. Uh, and I urge everybody to take a small step at, uh, self-reflection, analyzing who you are and what part of your life you need to apply yourself to. You know, it it is the big step is always the scary one, right? But if you take that big step and put it into five small steps, all you got to do is start knocking down single dominoes and pretty soon the whole picture is painted from dominoes, right? Like, absolutely. It, and, and it literally takes one domino at a time you know, that, that fire starts from a single match. And as soon as that match is lit, then you have to add fuel to it. Okay. Well, you find your fuel source. You're now creating a file fire. Combustion is there. If you do not tend to that fire, 
if you don't get rid of the waste ash, if you don't keep adding fuel, if you don't keep the, the wetness off of it, all the other things that could inhibit the burning of that fire, it's going to go out for sure. There is, oh, yeah. n- there is nothing other than your maintenance that will keep that fire going. And, uh, you know, some people, uh, always have to go through books and matches and some people carry the same pot of fire around for 40 years and never let it go out. And, and I think it's, uh, yeah, I think, I think fire is a pretty good metaphor for this. It's, it's such a good one. I've actually, uh, I've got, I got a guy coming over next week to, uh, finish shooting a video around some analogies around fire and personal growth and development. Sweet. Uh, I, you know, it's some of my, my favorite, uh, you know, I guess, mental images that you get is uh you know people are full of shit uh when what yeah. they're burning is wet right Ooh, <laughs> because it's yeah. always smoke right 100%. always blowing smoke it's an easy one and then now more than ever especially with with covid you have people that do have a fire burning inside of them um but the way that they insulate that the way that they protect it from the world right now uh, as a result of there being tough times it's tough to start a business right now yeah. it's tough it's tough to um you know, detoxify maybe your brain. If you were like me and you were sitting down on social media and you were ingesting it and you know, you, you didn't hit the eject button uh, and, and you just continue yeah. to consume it. It's, it's hard to put the time into feeding that fire with the right kind Man. of fuels and, and growing that into something meaningful. Sure is. Sure is. And then, you know, the, the, the idea is, is I think to cultivate a, a fire that you can burn safely and hot as hot as possible, as safe as possible without catching anything else on fire, but yet be able to take parts of that fire and give it to somebody else, right? And now, hey, here's a little bit of fire. It's not going to last you and cook all of your meals, but if you can keep this fire going, you will cook every meal for yourself. Like, like, a, like a little uh, a fire sourdough starter, huh? Exactly, <laughs> man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. I like I like that, man. That's a, that's a that's a great image. I I think it works, dude. This has been fantastic, Jake. I think you know we've been talking for two hours now, and it's fucking oh, wow. flown by. So uh, I, effortless. I would love to keep doing this. I. I think that we could expound upon growth and personal satisfaction and and music. I mean, I, I feel so many avenues that we could talk. Let's do this again, buddy. Absolutely, man. I uh, I certainly appreciate the time and uh, I appreciate you reaching out to me. This has been this has been awesome. Of course. Hey, plug plug all your things that you want people to find you, listen to you, your new podcast. Every please plug yourself. Yeah. So uh, as far as finding me, jakeblanchard.com is my website. Perfect. So you can find me jakeblanchard.com, just uh, the way it sounds. I'm on Instagram, Jake in Blanchard. You'll be able to find me there kind of posting motivational things and yeah. also plug in the podcast and whatnot as well. Uh, from You can find me out on YouTube and then uh, next week I will be in all the places that you expect. Uh, to find podcasts on the internet, and, and you're and you're doing audio and video, so you'll have the audio versions and video versions of your podcast as well, correct? That's right. We'll do video on uh, YouTube and Instagram TV, and then audio on about eight different platforms. Beautiful. Uh, and it's just the Jake Blanchard podcast. I, I tried to name it. No, we're we're just going with Jake Blanchard. Hey, podcast. I tell you what, I tell you what, it is it is a lot easier to do that than than naming a podcast i was lucky i kind of got one that fit our personality that wasn't taken yet but yeah me and me and jason when we named this thing spent weeks 
uh, just kind of trying to figure out what the fuck we call ourselves. And um, it stuck. I'm I'm proud of you, dude. You are honestly, you're truly motivational. I think you're a force to be reckoned with. Um, and people, everybody else, better watch out because I think you're going to be helping a lot of people grow uh, and move forward in this crazy world we're in, man. I appreciate that, Aaron. Thanks for sharing your platform with me. I appreciate it. Brother, of course. Uh, for all you others out there, uh, keep it loud. Drive like you know each other. And uh, yeah, kick it. <laughs>